We're back to Neil Haley's show here on the Caregiver Dave Celebrity segment. I'm excited to welcome the program Caregiver Dave Nassani. Dave, how are you? And I had not, awesome. I, you know what? I've never interviewed a celebrity who's a Neil. So this is just the first. <laughs> and this guy, I mean, is just amazing, brilliant. And now talking, we're talking social media. I love it. I got to have a, a conversation offline at one point with him. But go ahead and introduce our guest, Dave. Well, there's only one Neil deGrasse Tyson, uh, astrophysicist, director of the Hayden Planetarium and his latest book, Cosmic Queries, Star Talks Guide to Who We Are, How We Got Here, and Where We're Going. Ladies and gentlemen, the next Carl Sagan. Welcome to the show, Neil. All right. Excellent. Thank you very much. Thank you. So, Thanks Neil, so Neil, Neil, growing up, and this is so weird always saying, I'm sure this will be like Neil and Neil. We never had the show. We have to have a show, Neil and Neil. But, Neil, growing up, <laughs> did you ever think that you would be in this position in your life, uh, you know, with this, this, this role and how it's grown and to look at this, just guess this journey. Did you think this would happen I to th you? Th mm -hmm. I think of it differently than that. Not so much that I ever imagined being here. It's that I had no, uh, once I got the PhD, uh, I, that was my goal from childhood, PhD in astrophysics. Anything else would just be gravy and whatever it is, that's what it would be. And if I, so this is a path, uh, I see this path as being a servant of the public's cosmic curiosity, and I'm happy to be able to fulfill that for the public. But part of me says, you know, uh, I, you know, I'd rather just go back to the lab. <laughs> I don't, it doesn't, <laughs> um, I don't, I didn't seek it out. And so, so if I, I, I fantasize that one day I just, there are enough other people on the landscape bringing science to the public and astronomy to the public that I slowly back out of the room and exit the back door mm -hmm. and then just go to the Bahamas and then no one will miss <laughs> me because they're, they're fed by all these other people who are on that landscape. And then, and I go back to the lab in the Bahamas and, and that, so I fantasize about that. So are you in the Bahamas today? Yeah, <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I'm in Manhattan, New York city, right. an exotic <laughs> island of its own. I have a serious question for you. So I'm amazed and perplexed at, at the same time, <laughs> if that's possible, how we are so divided as a people about science, you know, how one group believes and embraces, you know, when it comes to, oh, let's say vaccinations and all of that, and yet rejected when it comes to, let's say, when life begins in the womb. How do we resolve that, you know? Um, well, so there's certain objectively establishable scientific truths. And to the extent that on the political spectrum, you have people in denial of them, well, that's just a recipe for the unraveling of an informed democracy. So we need somewhere in the educational system, people need to learn that the whole point of science is not to make your life miserable or to, to undo your belief systems, is to establish what is objectively true. And in a pluralistic society, which is what we have in the United States, that is free, a free pluralistic society, you you can you allow people to think and say whatever they want, but if you're going to make legislation that applies to everyone, that legislation or laws better be based on something that is objectively true. If not, then you are imposing your belief system on someone else whose belief system might not agree with yours, and that's where the problems begin. So I think in the educational system, people need to understand what science is and how and why it works. Then when you've done that. Once you understand it and you still want to not go along with it, I don't have a problem with it. So, for example, if you are, if you don't 
if, if, if you don't want carbon credits and all these things that have been proposed to reduce the carbon footprint, to reduce the, uh, the impact on climate change and global warming, um, here's what I want you to say. I want you to say, oh, I see the science. Yeah, that's, that's amazing and disturbing, but I still don't want to do it. I don't want to, I don't want to do that. I want to, I want to, then that's at least honest. Rather than say your science is bad and my thinking is correct, right? So, so um, there's room for people to just simply disagree, but there's no room to disagree on objectively established scientific truths. So that's a problem. It's a problem. And the United States will lose its luster. It already has begun losing its luster in the world for how dysfunctional we are because of the tribalism that has gurgled up and has not seemed to go away. All right. So Dave, I, so true. And, so, and so, and that's so true too. And then that's when you talk science, but why did you write the book? And I love again, what you're talking about with 10 truths that we have to discover and we have to look at. So what made you want to write the book? Yeah. So the book emanates from a, a highly successful format of star talk, the podcast that I host star talk is the, is the, there's a tapestry of science, humor, and pop culture. And each episode is a blend of those three. The pop culture is crucial because you walk in the door with a scaffold of pop culture. I don't have to prep you for your pop culture. That's the whole definition of pop culture, where we have a common vocabulary when discussing. We all know who Tom Brady is, who, right. you know, there are things we don't need to prep you on. So you walk in with that. And um, I was going to give more examples, you know, Beyonce, Tom Brady, the Pope, you know, um, uh, 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 you know, Joe Biden. Uh, we, we all know this. OK, so from that, I then say, how does science, how can I attach science to that scaffold so that you will then embrace the science because it's relevant to things you care about? That's what we do on Star Talk, and what we found was uh, one of the formats is people write in with their own questions, and we call that cosmic queries. Right. And people love it because they then become a participant on the frontier of inquiry, rather than simply listening to what I think they should hear. They ask what they want to hear, and occasionally they ask really deep questions. <clears throat> I said, I can't answer this in a short podcast. So I started collecting them together. And it was like, you know, we, this has got to become a book, especially since it hasn't really been done before. A book that addresses the deepest questions humans have ever posed to, to civilization. Why am I here? How did it all begin? How will it all end? Is there life in the universe? Uh, how, how did the universe get to be this way? What is the universe made of? Oh, my gosh. We've been asking these questions for millennia, and now we, some of them we have really good answers. Others, the answers are, are a little ratty, still working on them, okay, still baking in the oven, and uh, others, maybe the question isn't even the right question. So this book is a celebration of curiosity and wonder, and how that has manifested in what we have decoded about the operations of nature questions, nothing but questions. Can God and science coexist, Neil? Okay, so you're asking me that question in the English language in the West, so you presumably mean the God of the Judeo-Christian Bible. 
And, How about a um, creator? Okay, so that would be a god without a religion. Uh, the, the, then there would be a, de- a deist. I think it's deist um, is what they call it, where you there's a, a, a prime mover, and then everything unfolds on its own. The founding fathers were, if they were anything religious, they would you would call them deists. Definitely not Christians. So the the assertion that we're a Christian nation is just false. If they want to assert that based on the writings and conduct of founding fathers, it's an objectively false statement. So so um, so I don't have a problem if you want to say there is a God that made the universe exactly as we have discovered it, and the God is responsible for all the laws of physics. And um, and if you conduct science, you are studying the glory of God. I don't have any problem okay. with that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, however, if you now say God is listening to you, and oh, in the Bible, which is gives me my understanding of God, the universe was created in six days, and that the earth was created before the sun. Um, this is untenable. It is inconsistent with everything we know about the natural world. So you can continue to believe it, but you should you should stay out of science classrooms. And, and try not to become head of NASA. And because in this country, we have free expression of religion. Um, no one is going to prevent you from thinking that. The problem comes about is because you think that you want to require other people to think exactly the way you do by threat of law. And that's that's no longer a free country. That's a different kind of country. So these questions really are going to make us think when we read this book, it sounds like to me. Oh, yeah. It's a question. Thank you for bringing that up. These are not questions that you can look up in a wiki page, right? These are questions that touch on philosophy and in part some spirituality there, perhaps. Um, oh, by the way, if you want God to be the prime mover, I, I, would, I would say we don't know what was around before the universe. And you can say God, um, but you have to be careful when you say that. You just have to be careful. So, for example, um, in the Old Testament, there's a conversation God has. Um, was it with Abraham or with Job? Uh, forgive me for not remembering which. Job. Where, what's that? Job. Is it with Job? Where um, the motives of God are questioned right. by Job. And then God gives a whole litany of interesting, phenomenal, mysterious things going on in the natural world like the migration of the birds and the tides and there's a whole list. And that is a list of things that there's no way Job or anybody else at the time could have possibly understood. And so these are mysterious things that God has taken credit for. Okay. Now fast forward thousands of years and we invent science as it is now conducted in the year 16, around the year 1600, where we have experiments that test your ideas. And that's how science is conducted even today. And when you do this, we've answered almost every one of those mysteries that were laid out by God to Job. We, we, we got this. We know why the tides are coming. We know what the, the migration. We, we understand this. So no longer is anyone using that list as the go-to for the handiwork of God. They're picking other things. You might still believe that's true, but that you're not listing it in modern times. You're listing other things like God made the universe or dark matter is God or dark energy. So you're going to where science has yet to tread to then invoke the hand of God. But why are you doing that? 
why aren't you saying this rock is the handy? You could, and you might, but it's not what it's not really what's attracting you to utter that sentence. You are going to the pockets of ignorance that remain within the scientific community. And all I'm saying is that if that's where you're going to put your God, be ready for some time in the future where science figures that out. And if that's the case, then God for you is an ever receding pocket of scientific ignorance. All right. So now this has been very interesting. I wish we could talk for longer and I got it. Can't wait to hear about this whole Twitter thing. That's just making me really excited. But uh, the universe of, uh, of uh, audio uh, chats is what I'm into. But <laughs> Neil, okay. But, okay, as, as I'm clubhouse addicted. But the point I want to make finish up with is Dave has a interesting question for you, Neil, that involves caregiving. And then we're going to go and talk about where we can purchase the book. Go ahead, Dave, quickly, because we only have a couple minutes. Let's do it. Okay, thanks. Right. I'm a caregiver. My wife had a stroke. She lost her speech, became paralyzed one side. We grieved for a couple of years. We came to accept it. And now we go around helping caregivers. 30% of them die. And my question to you, because I've discovered that Everyone is either going to become a caregiver or need a caregiver. And I don't know where science fits into that, but has caregiving touched your life? Uh, yes, indeed. Um, in many ways, I mean, like you said, it's inevitable for everyone. As a child, my mother uh, went to school after she was empty nest. She raised us as a housewife and then went back to school and she became a, a gerontologist. And so her thoughts and concerns all focused on old people and the needs of the, the, the elderly. So from very early in my life, I had this sort of elderly baptism for what their needs are and what problems they face. And from uh, being physically uh, crippled to, to, to dementia, to, to Alzheimer's, which wasn't fully labeled up that far back. Mm. But, um, and so uh, we would care for them and and bring them food and and give them companionship and bring them music and invite them to holiday celebrations. And so this was a so it's not as intense as what you just described with your wife, but they were there. And eventually, our grandmother moved in with us, so I saw her needs. And um, so yeah, I think about this all the time. And people are living longer right now, like decades longer. So that's good and bad, if I can say it that way. Uh, it's good because there's, there's a little more life you get to experience. But what it means is more people will be taking care of their grandparents. Because there was a day when they would just die of a stroke or of a heart attack. And so you didn't have this sustained care and feeding that would go on for upwards of a decade. So uh, it's interesting. I don't know if that we fully addressed the societal response to that and the needs that that change over in society has wrought upon us. So, um, so yeah, I mean, ideally we live in a future where all these ailments are just cured, right? And you can live a healthy, uh, vibrant life until the day you die. Then gone are nursing homes, gone are, you know, and I have this fantasy where it's very sci-fi where, okay, ALS, takes away your body and not your mind and alzheimer takes away your mind but not your body that one day we have a brain body transplant we get the good mind out of the als patient and transplant it into the good body of the alzheimer's patient and you at least get a whole human being out of that and so but I, I, sign me up 
I think the real answer there is you want to find a cure for both. So then you don't need the brain transplant. So, so uh, yeah, this is a, a very real problem. And I think caregivers are not valued in society as much as they should be. They tend to be some overworked, underpaid people, particularly if you use them through agencies. And so I don't have a good answer. And in the Western culture, um, uh, unlike Western uh, European culture, unlike sort of um, Hispanic sort of Mediterranean cultures, the you take your elderly and you put them in a nursing home, right, rather than having have them live with you. It's a different mm-hmm. approach to what it is to get old, a cultural approach. So, yeah, I think about this often. And what does science have to say about it? I think we just, you know, let's fix these ailments. Right. And then exactly. you're alive until the day you die. And then we get to celebrate your life. And, and then your life doesn't become this, this weight that is wrapped around others. Just waiting for the mm-hmm. person, wait as in W-E-I-G-H-T, just waiting for the person to die, right? So what is that? We, we've made some progress with, with hospice, right? In hospice, yeah. we said, no, I can keep you alive for 10 years, but what kind of life is that? Go home, okay? Die in your own bed. And then you die a month later, okay? We, that, that's progress, I think. But even greater progress is we cure you so you don't have to go home to die. So as a scientist, I see <laughs> wow. these as solutions to that pro- those problems. Uh, it's very interesting. In the 10, that has great 10 questions. Where's the best place we can uh, find the purchase the book? It's in all final final bookstores, all bookstores, and also available on yeah, Amazon yeah, and all that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, there's Amazon, but if you're sort of anti-mega, you know, the the mega corporation that Amazon is um, in indie books. Uh, you can buy through indie books and it's also, there's an audio version of it as well. And uh, so, yeah, it's, it's at, at bookstore at booksellers near you, as they say. Yes. Well, it was great. The Neil and Neil show. We'll have to think about this at one point in time uh, for sure. And uh, I can't wait to hear about what you're doing on Twitter. So people need to check you out. Google you, check out all the different things you're doing, Neil. And I appreciate it. And thanks again, Dave. And what a great show. Thanks again, Neil. for Excellent. Stopping If by. you give me your email, I'll send you a link to it. Oh, I definitely will. Okay. I'll, we'll get off this interview. And and I'll do it. Thank you, Neil and uh, Neil. All right. You're listening to okay. Neil Haley's show. And we'll be back in just all right. a Bye. moment. Neil Haley here. Lensec has been a sponsor of the Neil Haley Show and Total Media Network for around a year and a half. And I wanted to tell you a little bit about Lensec. Lensec has been a pioneer in IP security videos since 1998. The company is a trusted security partner with experience around the world. Lensec has experience working with customers in higher education, K-12 education, government, public safety, critical infrastructure, healthcare, commercial, and more. The physical security experts at Lensec help customers develop enterprise solutions for their complex physical security projects using our flagship software, Perspective VMS. Lensec's enterprise-level video management software, Perspective VMS, is a browser-based software that streams and captures IP security camera video. The latest version of PVMS uses HTML5 interactive features in a thin client application that is designed to provide real-time situational awareness. Access control and other advanced features are integrated into a unified security platform, creating an ability to track behavior and movement while monitoring the live or recorded video. For more information, please visit Lensec.com. And now back to the show.
Hi, everyone, and welcome to a special new simulcast podcast called Courageously Broken here on the Neil Haley Network and syndicated on the Neil Haley Show. And I'm excited to welcome the program. Author of Courageously Broken, Donna Michaels. And Donna Michaels is erasing the stigma of PTSD. Donna, I appreciate it. And I know you're excited about our guests today. I am. I'm very excited. Thank you. Absolutely. Donna and I connected on Clubhouse. And I don't know if these guys have gone to Clubhouse. It's one of the greatest places to connect with so many different people and also the veteran community. I heard about her story and said she had to be on the network. So our guests today are Justin Roberts and Hank Barb, and they are going to talk about this new veteran-focused Echo Bravo Productions, Do Good. Guys, thanks for stopping by. How are you? Great. Thanks. Yeah. Good. All right. Good. All right. So, and how are you guys surviving the pandemic? What is it like in Louisiana right now? Uh, it's, I think it's like it is uh, everywhere else, except that we are still recovering from the disasters, uh, Hurricane Laura and Delta. And uh, and then also that freeze that happened. Uh, so we had three disasters in six months. So we're, we're hanging in there. Okay. Well, hopefully the end of 2021 will be better than the time period since the pandemic. Well, we said 2020. Yeah. Huh? Yeah, <laughs> now we know we said that. Okay. Okay. <laughs> well, but we, I don't know if it has been a good 2021. We have to kind of assess that in certain ways. All right, yeah. Donna. Donna now has some questions for the guys. So go ahead and start. Hey guys, it's a pleasure to meet you. Um, you know, us veteran people, we're like family, even though we've never met. So um, it's my honor. I've heard amazing things about you guys. So, and thank you for um, allowing us to interview you. So my first question is for Hank. How did you get involved in uh, Do Good? Well, uh, I met Justin in 2017, yeah. right? In 2017. And uh, we, uh, we, we, got along really well and, and we started talking he he shot a music video for us and then we figured out that we kind of struggled with some of the same things so we started calling each other every morning at 8 39 o'clock and we just had like the battle buddy system thing going on and uh after a while we just got to know each other really well and you know we he was a chaplain and i was a medic and so we kind of we're used to in our professional careers being the helpers and going and either spiritual guidance or medical assistance, you know, and I always say it's better if the chaplain is calling for the medic than if the medic's <laughs> calling for the chaplain. Right. Uh, Amen. Amen. That's, yeah. that's perfect. Well, my next question was going to be for Justin, the same thing. How did you get involved? But Hank, I think you, you kind of just answered that. So I guess what yeah. I should follow it up with is how exactly did the two of you come together? I mean, where did you meet? Can you tell that story? Yeah, yeah, that was actually during the Veteran Inaugural Ball uh, in 2016, the Veteran uh, Presidential Inaugural Ball. Gotcha, okay. So I was doing the invocation, and he was doing the music. So we started talking, and he told me his backstory about just his journey to finding music and finding hope with it and being able to push forward. And I was like, man, I just want to shoot music videos for you till you're famous. Yeah, uh, Yeah, he told me, he said, that he that my introduction was I wrote a movie or I directed a movie called No Greater Love, won a bunch of awards and I'm giving all the money to veterans. And oh, so, I wow. said, so I said, well, I wrote a song called Lessons Learned and that's why I'm here. So I'll give it away too. And he called <laughs> and he called me on it. And so now we've had this kind of professional relationship since then. Yeah. yeah. So that's awesome. Basically so basically you guys networked together and that networking led to Duga mm-hmm. and the and the production company. 
yeah so it's like it's it's connecting together that turned into a friendship both of us approach art differently though i'm on the film side he's on the music side and so we started talking about well how can we use our different talents to start making an impact and a difference so i drove down with my family to san antonio and we started just brainstorming what we wanted to do uh, we came up with the idea for do good that we would tell the stories of people making an impact in, in different places and then donate that money to those charities uh, because a lot of people have been financially impacted by COVID. They don't have the money to donate. So they sure. hear about all this awful stuff. They would like to make a difference, but they don't, they don't have the ability. So what we're doing is we're allowing that audience just by watching and sharing to still make an impact, we'll donate the monetization of views okay. to those charities. So people just watch and then they're able to donate and make a difference. And we've got a good partnership with the United Way of Southwest Louisiana, who's going to mm -hmm. handle all that financial stuff. Yeah. Uh, so that me and Chappie don't have to worry about. I failed every math class I ever yeah. took. <laughs> <laughs> me yeah, too. So, so the, the, the way it formed together was it went from a friendship and us, trying to figure out how we could make a difference during these tough times. And then that's when we heard that Hurricane Laura was headed to my hometown here in Lake Charles. Mm -hmm. So it was like the next day we heard that was coming. So uh, I called him and I said, Hey, we need to start this now. Yeah. We were supposed to start it in March. Like now this we were month. supposed to start filming <laughs> it right now, mm -hmm. but, yeah. but uh, the, the storm had different plans. Yeah. Wow. It's it's funny how things like that can take can take you from zero to sixty. You think you got this great plan, and then all of a sudden, you know, somebody somebody lights the fuse, and, and you're like a rocket yeah. taking off. You always say in the military that the 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 best plans never survive initial contact. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. That's why you always have Plan B and C, and yeah. <laughs> that's awesome, guys. Um, mm -hmm. And I think. Correct me if I'm wrong, and I'm 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 going completely off script here. But Neil knows me; I do that. Um, but correct me if I'm wrong. When you talked about the battle buddy calls and, and everything, do you find it to be very uh, cathartic, paying it forward and doing good things for other people? You get ten times more back than than you do giving. I think so. Like yeah, like the uh, nobody gets home on their own fully. I mean, no nobody processes things on their own fully. You need 100%. people for that. And so it's uh, just having those conversations. I could tell Hank anything. I know he's going to get where I'm coming from. And, you know, he had similar experiences. He had some even more experiences. And he knows what it's like to go through all those struggles of PTSD whenever you come home. And so uh, that has helped me tremendously. And I'm being sure. able to focus on it and actually reconnect with my purpose of making a difference. Mm -hmm. Exactly. You know, I'm lost without that. I, I was a chaplain. You know, right. I, I need to be plugged into right. doing good. And but so I think, go ahead. Yeah. No, that's I, I think I think that's the thing about veterans though. It's that call to duty. It's that call to for the greater good. And when we find, you know, when we get out of the military and and we can't find our next chapter or our next uh you know opportunity to give pay it forward or you know what I'm talking about. We're all on the same page. Um it, it, it's such a, a for me um, it's liberating it's like finally I have a new mission a new purpose a new opportunity for the greater good and when you get to connect with other veterans who are of the same mindset it just makes it work all the much better so that's kind of what I was thinking you guys had managed to pull off because what you guys are doing is, is incredible um, 
my next question is for Hank. What were the challenges to filming the documentary? Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, part of the challenge was that, you know, we had planned to start it in March, like we said, uh, and then the storm happened. And so the storm happened. We had no chance to really plan, do a real plan and do, and like, uh, our, our corporate sponsor, CoreLogic, they're awesome. Uh, we started filming and shooting just in good faith that that was going to happen. And it did, uh, but uh, I think the biggest challenge was it was kind of like guerrilla filmmaking, right? Shooting in a war zone. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. So that's, except that's, more that's, buildings were not down. different for you? Justin, have you ever shot that kind of a crazy thing before? This be, especially being the director. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, with uh, my first documentary, No Girl to Love, I was filming uh, numerous missions and operations and uh, right? yeah, Kunar province, Afghanistan. And so we had 200 Purple Hearts and an 800 man unit. Wow. and 18 killed in action uh two of the largest battles in the afghan war took place while we were filming as well uh in the top 10 you know so it, it's it used to getting shot at but what was different kind of like hank was saying is that the devastation was here that was here was so similar yeah oh, yeah i i right. i've been on the, in baghdad walking you know, like the baghdad after we bombed them and uh cameron was a hundred times worse uh downtown lake charles I've never seen brick buildings just fall down. Oh my gosh. From the wind part. And they did. Uh, it was uh, incredible to see. 95% of homes were impacted. Um, I think only like 20% of businesses uh, were functional after the storm. And uh, we were without electricity for like three or three weeks, right? Three weeks yeah. without water for like two weeks. It prepped me for that freeze in Texas. Um, yeah. Let me tell you. And so it's like the, uh, it's, it's, and the thing is, is that the tragedy of, let well, I me, mean, aside from the tragedy of the tragedy was it also only made the news for like a day or two. Mm -hmm. And then because of the contentious election, everybody just moved on. And so that also shot us to get resources, support, reaching out to communities, all these needed things that whenever a, a community gets knocked down, you need the entire nation to rally in order to get back up quickly. And we just didn't have that. So, and then just a, a few months later, after that, we had Hurricane Delta and all the debris that was pushed into the, uh, the drainage systems. Well, all that rain that came from Hurricane Delta created a flood that hit so fast and landlocked to so many people to where we were having to do rescue operations to get them out. So I was with the Cajun Navy on those rescue operations. Yeah, I've heard about the Cajun Navy. I think, it, correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't it Katrina that kind of uh, when, when when they started and now they've just been there for a disaster since? Yeah, and it's it's an interesting solution. That's actually going to be our second episode coming up is crowdsourcing to respond to natural disasters. Yep, the, the people got to learn how to pull together for sure. Um, so what, I guess that brings us to this next question. What would you like people to take away from your documentary the average person when they see your documentary what is it you want them to take away from it um, i think it's that one you're going to watch something today you're going to uh, engage into some social media you're going to be a part of these conversations what we're doing is it's it's apolitical it's going towards good works and just by watching you're still making a difference but you're also plugging into conversations that we need to have as a nation how are we going to face these challenges 
And how can we support those who are on the front lines, you know, doing the work that's saving lives? So that way, whenever it's your community. And, and, and I think the, the big thing that, that we want to show is that no matter what happens, you know, how bad stuff is going, there's still hope. Yeah. You know, and, and that's kind of the overall message is like the hurricane was terrible, you right. know, but what I, what I saw black people, white people, Republicans, Democrats, everybody exactly. just together helping. There was one food line that we were on and they had guys who were working, you know, minimum wage jobs serving food. The guy next to him is a general surgeon. Remember that? Everybody, guy? Yeah. yeah. And, 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 and he was there serving food too, because it didn't matter how rich you were. There wasn't any food to eat. It's while the rest of the country was divided, you know, over October, uh, this, this community was united mm-hmm. and it was probably one of the very few areas where this nation was united That's cool. and people coming from all different kinds of races, backgrounds, and religions were able to come together for something greater than themselves and really support one another. And we were cut off from the news and everything else. And it was actually uh, enlightening because we got to see what this country could be again. And it was inspiring and it was beautiful. And so I think that's what outshines the disaster in this series. Like Hank is saying is the hope. And we want people to connect with that because I think we desperately need something like that right now. Absolutely. So, so Justin, like looking at this in so many ways, why are natural disasters still continuing in Louisiana, even though how they try to figure this out with Katrina? Why hasn't certain things been able to stop this flooding from happening based on specifically the location? So you guys continue to get hit. Yeah, it's 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 all across the country. Like all these disasters are hitting in in the frequency, the fires in California. Mm -hmm. All along the the southeast coastline. If it's us today, it's going to be Florida tomorrow, and so we're trying to catch up with the infrastructure. I think the the government is trying to catch up to this, but we're slow to receive the message that the frequency and severity are increasing. And we really, and that's an information problem. That it's also sometimes a storytelling problem. You know, it gets lost. At, like like Hurricane Laura. We got lost in the news. Mm-hmm. Everybody mm-hmm. forgot about us. We had people calling. Uh, somebody called Hank and said, "Is there a fire going down there in Louisiana?" Yeah. I, I, <laughs> so, yeah. I, so we're not communicating very well. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was like, I'm I'm here in uh, in uh, in Lake Charles helping with the disaster, and my friend's like, "Was there a fire there too?" <laughs> yeah. I'm like, "No, man. No, we're drowning <laughs> here." And that's so so we're not having conversations about the things that are killing us. Two American towns were wiped off the map without even a whisper. Cameron was gone. I remember we looked, there was a road and the late, and it was just yeah. a road with a bunch of debris on the side. And one of the ladies said there were 55 houses on that street. And wow. now there weren't even. This is an American community that was there for hundreds over a hundred years. Yeah. And so it's weird. And it's very odd that we're not having these conversations nationally but if a bit of drama you know, pops up, it's all going to be all over the airwaves. Exactly. So mm-hmm. we need to figure out how to have critical conversations, how to get this to the front stage. And the only way that we know how to do that is to humanize the stories, tell them as most powerful way that we can, and then get that out in front of the American public. But also we're trying to marry not just the message, but also the mission. So just by engaging in this conversation, you're also going to be making an impact for these organizations. So we're going to kill two birds with one stone, you know, with do good. Awesome. I think, I think most Americans would agree. They would much rather see a lot more true, real, 
normal everyday American stories like this. And what I mean by that is a lot less Hollywood, a lot less celebrityism, a lot less agenda pushing um, and more real, honest to God, American stories. And I think you guys are doing what you're doing is phenomenal and long overdue. So thank you for that. Thank you thank very you. much. Thank you. Um, last question. So as Neil mentioned, I am a veteran and I wrote a book called Courageously Broken. And my story, <laughs> the purpose of sharing my story, I was diagnosed with PTSD in 2017. Um, and the purpose of me coming, going public with my story is because we're losing too many brothers and sisters to suicide. And I, I'm of the mentality of like, okay, we've been doing 22 push-ups and the awareness and it's great. And I asked myself, I'm like, all right, we're aware. We got it. We got a problem. Now what? So um, when I was trying to decide whether or not to go public with my story, someone that I know took his life. And I felt like, um, and I was the last person he talked to, I later found out. And that sucked because I had absolutely no idea um, that he was in a bad place. It was very sudden. Um, so I thought, you know what? If and a friend, it was a close friend of mine that told me if I share my story, I might could help somebody. So I've decided that sharing my story, my goal with it is to erase the stigma. I speak from experience. The reason I would not ask for help, because I'm a crisis intervention trained officer. I've been doing this for years. I knew what would happen if I asked for help, or at least in my mind, I thought I knew what would happen. And the reason I wouldn't ask for help is because I didn't want to get locked up in the, in the mental hospital, right? So I was keeping it yeah. to myself. And that's what all veterans and first responders are afraid of. We just imagine going away in handcuffs and being locked up in the mental ward with some psychiatrist that has never served a day in his life and can't possibly understand what it is we're going through, right? That's what we all think. So um, my goal is to erase the stigma of PTSD. What I want to know is what other ways do you think we can do this? Like my way was, was uh, writing a book and sharing my story, but what other ideas do you guys have? I, I know for me, uh, and, and this is just from me talking to Justin, uh, I try to show people what helped me instead of saying, hey, this is what you need yeah. to do, because that'll turn people off. You know, uh, I, I had some struggles and Justin's documented them. And the, the it, you, I think the the second video that goes up is, is this actually, Friday. This Friday is an interview with me and a music video. Uh, and talking specifically about that. And that's all that I can do is, is tell you, this is what helped me. Yeah. Because when I start telling you, Hey, right. this is what you need to do to fix that. I'm wrong right off the bat because it's different yeah. for everybody. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. I, what would you, would you agree? Just talking, just talking in general with each other to let each other know we're not, they're not alone. Yeah. The, uh, the, the unit that was featured in no greater love, the first documentary that I did, was the most suicidal battalion in 2009. So when I got there on the second day on the job, we had a suicide. And then a week later, we had another, then a couple months later, another, then another. Also a suicidal ideation every single week for the first six months. So to turn that around, I just circled up with the senior NCOs. We started talking about, well, what's not working and, and what could work? Right. What we developed was just simply sitting down with each platoon, everybody taking off the rank and talking and, and finally connecting. And actually talking about what is this stigma that we're dealing with? What, what is preventing you from coming forward? And how can we, if we're willing to run through bullets and bombs to try to save a person's life and maybe right. be willing to die for one another, what are we willing to do here as we're losing people? Well, that program, we wound up deploying. We had a very traumatic deployment. We did the program 
before that deployed, did the program during the deployment. When we were coming back, because we had so many casualties and so much combat trauma, people thought that we were going to have more suicides. But instead, we had a 70% reduction of suicidal ideations and zero suicides. So the thing, if I was to simplify what I've seen work, what I've quantifiably seen work is friendship, the ability to openly communicate, and purpose. And veterans coming home have to realize that this nation is falling apart. They yeah. have to mobilize. This is the next chapter. You raise your right hand. You don't get to quit just because your service with the military is done. You still have to come back and rebuild this thing. Exactly. Fix it. Connect with your next purpose. And you have to connect with your brothers and sisters and, and help each other into that next stage as well. So it, the solution to this country is also the same solution to the veteran suicides. It's reconnecting with our purpose. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Very well, well said. Well, I want to thank everyone for their service, not just you guys, but also Donna as well, and all the veterans that are listening to this. And I think that the power is we have to give them a purpose when they come home and understand what they've gone through to protect us. You guys have protected us so that we can be free. And that's the understanding thing that's missing. Just like in the, the, at the end of the Vietnam War, People forgot that. They didn't understand. This is important. Our military is important. We have to continue to honor our military the best we can at all times. And I appreciate what you guys are doing. Where can we check out, the again, the docu-series? Where is it located? Yeah, so yeah. We, we are up on YouTube. You just have to search for Do Good. And uh, we are now rising in the ranks, slowly but surely. Uh, it, it's just It just came out. So please uh, go to YouTube. Uh, YouTube and Facebook watch that their mm -hmm. Facebook is running the episodes as well. Oh, it's a do good Ar search for us on Facebook at do good army. You'll see our smiling mugs in the profile. Yeah, they're, they're ugly, but they're happy. And uh, <laughs> so also to join us and stay connected. Facebook is also a great place uh, to find out what is the latest thing that's going on. We're going to be releasing episodes pretty regularly and uh, going out there and doing good. Absolutely. And the best way for people to do is they can help you out by donating right tell us about that too well and so that's the thing is like uh we we just push the donation straight over to those charities so just by watching and sharing you're going to be helping to raise funds that's and support for the charities that we're featuring and then if you would like to donate directly to those charities we're putting links there as well mm -hmm. and so we're just telling the story and trying to help connect the audience to the people who are making a difference and you can find out where we're at at Do Good Army at Facebook. So, Justin, also, are you, where is your first uh, docu-series you did? Where can you, people find that? So, you can go to Amazon Prime, and that film was called No Greater Love. Excellent and movie. It was, uh, I was with the 101st, and uh, it just shows the, the Ford operations, but tells the story of the people that I served with. And I also don't want to forget that his band, Three Beards, you can find them also on Facebook. Spotify and Pandora, Spotify, yeah. where you can stream music. Yeah. Well, I hope to see you guys in Clubhouse. If you're not on Clubhouse yet, do you both have iPhones? I, I do. I do. Well, I've I seen three beards. I've seen three beards. I want to say I'm already following you. I'm pretty sure. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, we appreciate you guys. Stay, stay off. Stay on after this interview for a second. We can connect offline. But I appreciate everyone. And what a great first. Courageously Broken and Donna, we can get your book by just Googling Courageously Broken, right? comes out. That's right. It's available everywhere. You just Google Courageously Broken 
or DA Michaels, even though we're calling you Donna now, but all those things. But again, this is just the beginning. Make sure you like and share this because everybody needs to help others, especially during this hard time. Our country's divided. Let's keep helping each other. So I appreciate everyone taking, uh, stopping by. All right, great. All right, guys, take care. That was Courageously Broken. See you guys. Celebrity Slots. Free spin. Free to play mobile social slot games in the likeness of your favorite celebrities. Making money. Spin to win celebrity experiences through sweepstakes. Free to download. Free to play. Yeah, baby. What are you waiting for? Win meet and greets celebrity merchandise, gift cards, and more. Download Celebrity Slots today. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the special simulcast of Freedom for Addiction, Truth, Just, Most Below the Surface, and the Neil Haley Show. And I'm excited to welcome the program, Reverend Wynn Henderson, MD. Wynn, how are you? What's going on? Great, Neil. Uh, I want to talk today about and here's the title did larry king receive an mrna vaccine injection just before his death well as you know i recently released a podcast telling about how my friend and mentor larry king with whom i had planned to do an interview celebrating my 1000th talk show had suddenly died now I'm gonna tell you about some additional information I found out concerning Larry's death. My source for this is Brian Shilhavy, editor, Health Impact News. With the news that baseball legend Hank Aaron received the Moderna mRNA vaccine about two weeks before his death at the age of 86, People are naturally inquiring as to whether longtime talk show host Larry King, who just died at the age of 87, also received one of the COVID-19 mRNA shots. Larry King had been in the hospital due to the fact that he, he tested positive for COVID-19. Reporter Dave Jordan, a friend of Larry King's son, Larry King Jr., tweeted on January 15th, 2021. I just wrapped an interview with my friend, Larry King Jr. He tells me his dad was expected to fully recover from COVID-19 and will receive the vaccine before he is released from the hospital. Dave Jordan then published an interview with Larry King Jr. on January 20th, where he reported, Larry Sr. was 87 years old and had several health challenges over the years. Because of the virus, he was hospitalized for several days. King said his father was still in the hospital, but on the road to recovery. He's getting all the protocols and knock on wood, we'll have him out in the next couple of days. Larry King Sr. died three days later on January 23rd. So, if he was still in the hospital on January 20th, on the road to recovery, 
and set to be released in a couple of days, but was also scheduled to receive the vaccine before he was released. Is it not a legitimate question to ask if he did indeed receive one of the COVID mRNA injections? Why is this information being withheld from the public? We already know that most of the deaths following the COVID mRNA injections occur in people over the age of 80. We now have reports from literally thousands of people around the world dying shortly after receiving one of these COVID mRNA injections. But so far, Big Pharma and Pharma Control Corporate Media are denying that any of these deaths are due to the vaccines. How many more will die before the masses wake up and realize they're being lied to? One thing seems certain to me, those with faith-based belief in the safety of these vaccines seem to be headed towards seeing a significant reduction in the world's population in exchange for their faith. To hear more of my free podcast, go to www.freedomfromaddiction.libson.com, spell Libson, L-I-B as in boy, S-Y-N. And that's the report for today, Neil. Uh, wow, very, very uh, interesting information. Uh, wow. Just again, that you never know when you have a vaccine that's not been tested enough to know the side effects. And it's, it's terrible that another thing because of COVID-19 is killing people. So I appreciate stopping by and thanks for all the information. Okay, Neil. Oh, one more thing. The CDC put out a report of the possible side effects of COVID-19 injections. And there were somewhere in the neighborhood, 20 of them some of them are really bad, and one of them is death. So go back to my podcast and see what can happen to you if you take that uh, vaccine. All right, guys. That was, again, Freedom from Addiction, Truth, Just Below the Service, and the Neil Haley Show. Take care, guys.